pain has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News and World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Did you realize that many biological specimens are available for drug testing? I mean, we're familiar with blood testing, but other specimens like sweat, hair, saliva, and nails can be tested too. Pharmacogenetic testing is in its infancy, but it has the power of personalizing pain therapies. Medical testing to measure cholesterol levels or hormonal levels are pretty common. A needle is placed into our vein and blood is withdrawn for analysis. It can hurt, but it's necessary in order to ensure that we're healthy or to monitor the results of therapeutic medications. But how about testing our urine? This isn't common for most of us. But patients using opioids or other controlled substances for pain typically do have their urine checked. Why? Doctors want to make sure that patients are compliant with medicines like oxycodone, hydrocodone, or morphine, for example. In other words, we're checking to see that patients are taking these drugs safely by monitoring their presence in the urine. We also want to make sure that patients aren't using illegal substances like heroin. And today, the FDA is on a crusade to combat the rise of prescription opioid abuse, given that we've seen an estimated 16,500 deaths in 2010 that are linked to opioid medications. Jackie, our first guest, has been a nurse for 30 years and suffers from low back pain, leg pain, and knee pain. Opioids have given her the ability to work and enjoy her life. Is testing her urine an invasion of privacy, as some think? We'll find out. And then we're joined by Dr. Howard Height. He's an addiction medicine specialist and pain specialist with over 20 years of clinical experience. He'll give us an expert view on why to test, whom to test, and when to test. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Purdue Pharma, Teva Pharmaceuticals, Millennium Laboratories, My Life Patient Program, and DC2 Healthcare, The Pain Community, and DepoMed Incorporated. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. Jackie's been a nurse for 30 years. She's done psychiatric nursing and today works as an intake nurse for a home care group. Let's find out more. Jackie, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thanks a lot for having me. Tell us what happened in 1988. I had a myomectomy. And uh, a is the surgical removal of fibroids in the uterus. After the surgery, some sort of infection, which uh, put me in the hospital for 10 days and spiking fevers of 103. Wow. And they never figured out exactly what it was. And I was on pain medicine while I was in there, Mm -hmm. and when I got home, I realized that I was still in pain and it it wasn't getting any better. And where was the pain? From the waist down the buttock 
to my knee in the back mm-hmm. and then down the front of my leg, inside the leg, all the way to the ankle. Did any of those areas stop hurting? Yes. The part that was in, in the inside of the leg went away. The part from the buttock down to the knee never went away. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, Jackie, are there other areas in your body that are painful? Since I've gotten older, I have uh, knee pain <laughs> now because I need knee replacements. Okay. Nothing else. Started out with Lyme disease in the right knee, and now it's both knees. I assume it damaged the joint because that's one of the things that Lyme disease can do. Mm-hmm. And that's the worst one, but I think from favoring that, I've caused myself problems with my left knee. Has your pain overall been the same? Has it worsened or has it gotten better in time? It stayed the same. Once I got rid of the part that went down on the inside of my leg, the rest of it has stayed essentially the same. Okay. Now, how has the pain affected your life, professionally, your your family life, friends? Actually, well, it slowed me down. I can't stand for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been since the beginning. And well, how long is a long period of time? A long period is more than ten minutes. Well, I mean, that's not very long. No, it's not. I've tried not to let it interfere with my life. Yeah, I try to make everything just go away. You know, mm-hmm. the pain medicine puts it under control enough so that I can function. And uh, when it first happened, I had to quit work and I didn't get back to work for almost five years. Wow. And now I work three days a week, which I'm proud of. Good for you. I'm really proud of you too. I, I mean, I know it's difficult. I have a lot of patients who, who find that their pain prevents them from working and doing those things that they love doing in life. Uh, Jackie, let me backtrack. What did the surgeon, that is the the gynecologist, say to you when at that point you said, gosh, you know, I have this pain that isn't going away? It was actually my gynecologist who did the surgery. And it wasn't that he wasn't interested in it or wasn't worried about it. He just didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he did give me pain medication and um, try to help me get things under control. And I think he felt the way I did, that eventually it would go away. It just never did. Jackie, I know then you went to a pain clinic. What did they say about the cause of your pain? They said the damage was to the lumbosacral plexus, Mm -hmm. and they tried nerve blocks. I think I had 16 or 17 nerve blocks trying every which one and hoping that everyone was going to work. And then everybody would have another idea, and we'd try something else, but... Nothing worked. Yeah, I mean, that must have been tough. And by the way, the lumbosacral plexus is the combination of, of the lumbar nerves, sacral nerves, and coccygeal nerve. And Jackie, how did the pain impact your family life? I mean, a lot of my patients will tell me that, that pain can have a really destructive effect on their relationships with their spouse and with their kids. What happened with you? I had two sons, and I continued to do what I always did as best I could. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't working anymore. I could do my, my personal life or I could do my professional life, but I couldn't do both. Exactly. And a lot of my patients will tell me it's extremely hard to take care of their kids and work when they have chronic pain. Jackie, patients of mine will tell me that friends of theirs start abandoning them once they develop chronic pain. Did that happen to you? It's just a, really a strange thing. People keep expecting you to get better. Mm-hmm. And when you don't get better, they lose patience. Yep. They'll ask you, are you better? And you say, not really. And then <laughs> you sort of get an attitude about it, like you don't want to get better, but you do. It's just that nothing seems to help. That's right. And they just seem not to believe you. I know that you tried many different nerve blocks, something along the lines of 16 or 17, and you tried multiple different medications. 
We tried everything. And nothing helped? Had high hopes. Yeah, I bet. And what did finally free you from your pain? Oxycontin, and it actually worked. That's fantastic. And Oxycontin is a long-acting, that is an extended release form of oxycodone that you take, I believe, every 12 hours. And in addition, you're taking oxycodone, which is short-acting, uh, 5 milligrams every 12 hours or so for your breakthrough pain. And how much does it help you? On a pain uh, scale of 1 to 10, mm-hmm. it gets me to about a 4 or a 5. Oh, great. So it was a big help. That sounds like it. And what kind of a difference did they make in your life? One thing, it let me go back to work, and it let me be able to function better as far as, as having in more enjoyment out of life and mm-hmm. being able to do things with the family. All of those things. That's wonderful to hear. I mean, those two medications have really given your life back. And in fact, what do you think your life would have been like if you hadn't had them? You know, I guarantee you that it would be total depression. Yeah. And I wouldn't be able to function. Jackie, some of my patients feel a sense of embarrassment about using opioids to control their pain. I mean, do you feel that there's a social stigma attached to using these medications? Absolutely. You know, today we have two competing forces. Right. One an epidemic of pain in this country, and two, an epidemic of deaths associated with opioid overdose. So how do you feel about the move to reduce the opioid supply in order to curtail the number of deaths that are associated with opioid use? I think if it's used properly, and if if you're going to a pain clinic and it's being used properly, then I don't see any reason to reduce it. Mm -hmm. It's, It's only if it's being misuse that's a problem. Absolutely. And in fact, we use urine drug monitoring to monitor the potential misuse, abuse, and diversion of opioids. Many pain specialists and a growing number of primary care doctors require that patients who are using opioids chronically for their pain submit their urine for testing. And Jackie, how do you feel about having your urine tested? I know what I'm taking and I know that I'm not going to, I don't have any problem with it. If testing makes it available for me, then I don't have a problem with it at all. Well, I guess you're saying then that if the urine testing makes the opioids available to you as a therapy for your pain, you're okay with that. Now, on the other hand, I have a couple patients who said to me, well, Dr. Christo, you know, I feel that urine testing is an invasion of my privacy. It's unnecessary. It's unfair. And and almost it's too harsh. I think it's necessary. I mean, I've I've been going to the same people long enough that I'm. they know that I'm trustworthy. But still, I don't see a problem with that. I mean, that just is the way it goes. If you want to be prescribed, then you have to step up and and prove that you're not a problem. Absolutely. I like the way you frame that. This has been eye-opening, and we'll talk more to her later when we have Jackie take us through the process of having her urine tested. I mean, that is, how often is it done? Is anybody watching? What are we actually screening for? And what happens if you fail the test? Jackie, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Up next is Dr. Howard Height, addiction medicine specialist and pain specialist. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, a global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Visit TameThePain.com to learn about treatment options for chronic pain. 
Teva, the leading global pharmaceutical company committed to increasing access to high-quality health care by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. Millennium Laboratories, a leader in the science of toxicology and pharmacogenetics, is transforming the way healthcare professionals monitor and manage their patients' medication therapy. Through the use of advanced technology supported by research and education, Millennium helps practitioners personalize care for patients. For more information, please visit www.millenniumlabs.com. My Life Patient Program and DC2 Healthcare. Connecting patients to top physicians in the United States, reaching the highest standard of patient care through research patient programs and gains in overall health. For more information, please visit mylifepatientproject.com and dc2healthcare.com. Welcome back. Dr. Howard Height is an addiction medicine specialist, pain specialist, and board-certified internist and gastroenterologist. For six years, he served as medical addictionologist for alcohol and drug services for Fairfax County, Virginia. Dr. Height served as an assistant professor of medicine at Georgetown University School of Medicine and has lectured and published on both addiction medicine and pain management. Dr. Height, welcome to Aches and Gains. Well, thank you for having me. Howard, you're, you're certainly experienced in using opioids for patients with chronic pain, and it seems like the media and the government are portraying opioids as, as unsafe and therefore taking steps to limit their use. What's your take on it? Well, I think with opioids, you're dealing with a medication that could be part of the problem, part of the solution, or both, depending upon the clinical situation. Uh-huh. So it would be friend or foe or neutral depending upon how it's prescribed. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel about the move, though, to reduce the opioid supply in order to reduce the number of deaths associated with opioid overdose? If you say that pain is the most common presentation to a doctor's office, why would we limit a very valuable medicine? Mm -hmm. Why don't we educate people how to use the medicine in the appropriate manner in order to decrease diversion and death from such a medicine. Absolutely. I think education is extremely important. Now, on the other hand, what do you think, Howard, about the vilification of opioids on the part of the government and the media? Well, when I first started, it was like, let's put opioids in the drinking water. It was opioid, <laughs> what I call opioid psychosis. Uh-huh. Then the pendulum swing to opioid phobia that we can't use opioids under any circumstances. Right. And now the pendulum keeps on swinging and it needs to be in the middle and that's to be what they call fair and balanced in regards to the use of opioids. Mm-hmm. There should be appropriate supply of opioids to treat pain, appropriate supply to do research with, but also we have to be aware that this medicine can be diverted and can be abused, and certain patients, if they're genetically predisposed, can become addicted. Right. And we have to be educated in the both two-edged swords of this type of medicine called opioids. Mm-hmm. And today, I think the pendulum has swung in the other direction, that is, of reducing the supply, limiting the supply, unfortunately. Howard, why do you think we've seen an estimated 16,500 deaths in 2010 that are linked to opioid medications? I mean, why has this escalated? I think most of the deaths of opioids are secondary to people using them recreationally or unknowingly or not knowledgeably mm-hmm. and generally with other medicine. Very seldom is this opioids involved. It's generally opioids and alcohol or opioids benzodiazepines. Which are medications like, like Valium and Ativan. Or opioids and some other medication. Yeah. So it's the non-medical use that caused most of the death not the therapeutic use. I think that's lost in the argument, unfortunately. That is, a lot of patients who are using opioids are using them non-medically in a way that's not prescribed. 
Do you think that urine monitoring will help curb the rise in the abuse of prescription opioids? I think education of our patients and monitoring our patients Mm -hmm. and our patients being on board while they are monitoring will decrease the death and prevent the version of this most valuable medication. Now, Howard, you've seen the transformation from little use to more substantial use of opioids as a therapy for pain, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, you know, and for example, use has increased over 200% from 1980 to 2002. I mean, do you feel that overall patients have benefited from having more access to opioids? Absolutely, they have benefited from this. Although I can't produce any studies mm-hmm. that have p-values in regards to the long-term use of opioids, I know in my 20 years of practice, I've had many, many patients who life was turned around and became productive on the appropriate, and I emphasize the appropriate use of opioids for the treatment of their chronic pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have too. On the other hand, opioid use has been associated with an increase in abuse and diversion. And for example, the Drug Abuse Warning Network has reported over 400,000 emergency room visits due to opioid use. And that's pretty big, and it's understandable why the government wants to limit the supply of opioids. So Howard, how do you feel uh, that limiting the supply of opioids for pain will affect patients in need? Who judges the judge? without doing medical necessity, is a proper evaluation of the patient in, in determining whether or not opioids should be used as a therapeutic trial to help improve their quality of life. Mm-hmm. I don't want a government regulation or government body coming in and telling me how to treat my patients right. without doing an appropriate history and physical which, of course, they're not going to do. Well, absolutely, I agree. But the government is concerned, and rightfully so, about the high number of deaths linked to opioids. You have to know that there have been approximately 16,000 deaths over the past decade with opioids, but we also know that there's been over 20,000 deaths secondary to the use of non-steroidals. And non-steroidals are drugs like uh, Motrin, also known as ibuprofen, and Aleve, also known as naproxen. They should mandate that medical schools, internships, residency, fellowships, in all discipline get training in pain and also in addiction medicine. Mm-hmm. If you do pain management, you should be at least a talented amateur in addiction <laughs> medicine. <laughs> right. Because all the dark side of pain management is addiction medicine. That's right, exactly. Now let's talk about urine drug monitoring for patients who are on opioid therapy, like Jackie, for instance, because one of the ways that we monitor abuse, misuse, and opioid diversion is through urine drug testing. What do you think about the rationale for its use? It is a valuable, valuable tool to help monitor patients who are on certain controlled substances which can be abused, become addicted to, or diverted. Mm -hmm. But what I want to emphasize, when you use a tool such as urine drug testing, you have to know its limitations. Yeah. And urine drug testing does not, and I emphasize, does not diagnose the disease of addiction, does not diagnose physical dependence, does not diagnose impairment, and does not diagnose diversion. What it does is open up a differential diagnosis to open up communication with your patient to discuss all these possibilities. Right, exactly. I think opening up the lines of communication with the patient is key because we need to understand what's going on in the patient's life that might explain discrepancies in their urine. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll find out from Dr. Haidt what other reasons make urine drug testing important. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by The Pain Community, a web-based nonprofit created by people living with pain. Check out paincommunity.org for information, references, advocacy tools, and a premium section to securely interact with other members in forums and chat rooms. 
DepoMed Incorporated, a specialty pharmaceutical company focused on developing and commercializing products to treat pain and other central nervous system conditions. Purdue Pharma, making a positive impact on healthcare and on lives, reminding everyone to safeguard medications in their home. For cutting-edge treatments and resources, follow Dr. Paul Christo on Twitter or like Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo on Facebook. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Howard Height, addiction medicine specialist and pain specialist. Howard, I want to mention, too, that several medical societies and state medical boards support the use of urine drug testing. Now, back to the rationale for testing urine in patients who are on opioid therapy for pain. Tell us why it's so difficult to predict the likelihood of opioid abuse. You can't tell a book by its cover. You have to treat each patient as an individual, Mm -hmm. set up appropriate boundaries before you write the first prescription, do a proper evaluation, proper follow-up, and document, document, document all your findings in the medical legal chart. Mm -hmm. When you order a test such as urine drug tests or any test, think of medical necessity, and that's what insurance companies are looking for. And medical necessity is the appropriate use of a particular procedure, operation, appropriate evaluation, physical exam, laboratory test that is consistent with taking care of the patient and consistent with the standard of care of your community. Right. And that consists of why you ordered the tests, remarking on the test results when they come back in the medical legal chart, and then what are you going to do with these results? Absolutely. And remember that urine drug testing helps us safeguard the patient against opioid abuse and the disease of addiction. I mean, we want to make sure that the prescribed opioid for pain is showing up in the urine and that illicit drugs like cocaine and heroin aren't. I mean, let's face it, Americans pill pop, smoke, inhale, drink, and abuse, sometimes almost anything available. And therefore, we want to make sure that patients aren't putting themselves at risk by doing some of these other things. And Howard, let's talk now about who has a greater risk of opioid abuse. Who are they? The patient who has chronic pain and also has a disease of addiction, whether in recovery or active. Mm -hmm. And these patients are at at higher risk. The patient who has a family history of addiction, the patient who has in recovery from addiction, the patient who has an active history of addiction, the patient who has a psychiatric problem. Those patients are at increased risk. Does that mean that they shouldn't be treated appropriate with chronic pain medications such as opioid? No, it just means that you set up the appropriate boundaries and you may follow them more closely. You may see them more frequently in the office. You may do more frequent urine drug testing, but you do not under any circumstances deny them care. Right, but most pain specialists and primary care doctors are afraid to treat patients who've relapsed with opioids. Major reasons why people relapse in the disease of addiction is stress. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, there's no greater stress than having untreated chronic pain. Very, very true. I want to add, too, that uh, patients are at increased risk of opioid abuse who have a smoking history, anxiety, depression, and as you mentioned, have certain uh, psychiatric disorders or personality disorders. I feel that stratifying risk is useful when considering opioids for patients in chronic pain because no patient is at zero risk of opioid abuse. What do you think? If a patient has a pulse, the patient has a risk. (laughs) Right. The question is, what is that risk? Is it low, medium, or high? 
Exactly. A low-risk patient would be a patient with no past or or current history of substance abuse, for example. A medium-risk patient would represent a patient with a history of treated substance abuse. And finally, a high-risk patient would be someone who has active substance abuse or who's in active addiction. Howard, you've practiced pain and addiction medicine for quite some time. What changes did you see in how you were better able to manage patients once you began incorporating urine drug monitoring into your practice? So the key with urine drug tests to me is increased communication with your patient Mm -hmm. so that you could solve a particular problem that may not have been solved without the the data from the urine drug test. Right. It's an extremely valuable tool. Right. It's all about communication. And what a compelling show, which we're going to need to continue next time. We'll have a chance to talk to Jackie again, and then Dr. Height will share insights into the technical aspects of urine drug testing, precautions used to decrease the risk of tampering with the sample, and then whether eating muffins with lots of poppy seeds or inhaling secondhand marijuana smoke will make the urine positive when it shouldn't be. Dr. Height, I want to thank you very, very much for joining us today on Aches and Gains. Well, thank you for having me. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.